I'm Gary, and this is episode 101 of EV Musings, a podcast about renewables, electric vehicles, and things that are interesting to electric vehicle owners. This season of EV Musings is sponsored by ZapMap. On the show today, we'll be looking at Ying and Yang. EVs aren't perfect, no car is. So what are the downsides, and what are the upsides? Welcome to season six of the podcast. After the excitement of putting out 100 episodes, I took quite a few weeks off and had a long think about episodes for the next season. If you're a patron, you'll already know my thoughts on where I think I'm going with this, but for the rest of you, it'll be a little journey of discovery. You may have picked up from my comment a few moments ago that we now have a sponsor. At the recent Fully Charged Outside show, I ran into Melanie Shufflebottom from ZapMap, former guest on the podcast. She was on the show last season, and if you want to go back and listen to that episode, there's a link in the show notes. We got to talking and ZapMap have very kindly offered to become a marquee sponsor for this podcast for the 20 episodes that make up season six. As part of this sponsorship, ZapMap will be providing financial support for the podcast. I've long been a supporter of their product and I'm quite happy to keep promoting it as we move forward. They will also be running a couple of promotions on the show, allowing people to win subscriptions to their premium ZapMap offering. So look out for that. Thank you to ZapMap for sponsoring the show. Before we start, I wanted to remind you that there is a patrons-only post-credit sequence on this episode. Listen right through to the end after the theme tune and you'll get into a little discussion about GridServe and their rollout of new chargers. I'm also starting a regular, but not necessarily frequent, section of the show called Disconnected. Let me set the scene. We've talked before many times on this podcast about how the charging infrastructure is getting better and better every single day. But the flip side to that is illustrated regularly on my Twitter feed with people having issues when charging. It could be broken charges, it could be having to wait, it could be poor charger etiquette. It could just be handshake issues with your vehicle. So I wanted to gather together some of these stories and recount them for the listeners. So if you have an interesting charging story, preferably where you had an issue that caused you a problem, send it to me at evmusings at gmail.com. Let me know if you want me to use your name or not, and if selected, I'll add it to a future episode of the podcast. The aim is to highlight that while the infrastructure is getting better, there's still probably a bit of a way to go. So, I'll start. I was on a long distance journey recently and I stopped at the Donington Park motorway service area to use the new GridServe electric highway units. There were two there. One had a Mercedes EQA on it, and naturally that was the one that had the Chadamo connector that I needed so I couldn't charge. The other unit was CCS only. When I checked the status of the EQA, the car had been there for almost 50 minutes already and was ticking along very nicely at 94% state of charge, pulling something like a measly 14 kilowatts. The owner or driver was nowhere to be seen. I plugged in on the Chadamo and initiated my charge, which you can do on these new ABB chargers, but naturally it wouldn't actually start physically charging until the EQA had stopped. Finally, the owner came out and I asked why she charged past 80% and she said, oh, I'm going on a long journey. And I said, well, it would probably be quicker to stop at 80% and head off because you'll charge quicker at another charger close to your destination rather than spending a lot longer here at 14 kilowatts. And she said, I couldn't find any chargers near where I'm going. ZapMap tells me if I charge here, I won't need to stop again. So I was a bit confused about this and I asked her if she'd actually checked the map on ZapMap. And she said, no, she only used the route planning function. So when I showed her the live map and the filters, her eyes lit up. She'd never seen them before. So a lack of education with this user cost me about 20 minutes waiting for a woman who didn't know she could stop at 
and do a quicker journey just by moving off. So these are the sort of stories I want. Have you had issues like that? Have you found one particular type of charger less reliable? Have you been stuck with somebody using the AC charger to charge an iPace to 100% on a rapid unit? Send your stories through and I'll read out the best. Our main topic of discussion today is yin and yang. I know here on the podcast we like to take a very positive attitude towards electric vehicles and I'm convinced they're still better for the future in the environment than fossil fuel vehicles, despite the downsides they have. In this episode, I want to specifically identify the downsides and highlight some opposing items to offset them. I call it the yin and yang of electric vehicles. And this thought came to me after spending a lot of August reading tweets from people who seem intent on sabotaging the rollout of EVs. Whenever someone posts anything about a new car or new chargers, or if they link to some article in a newspaper extolling the virtues of electrified driving, there are always columns and columns of responses which all tend to jump on the anti-EV bandwagon. Now we've talked about a lot of the myths and legends that have arisen around EVs. In fact, the very first episode of this podcast was entitled Myths and Legends. As a number of these myths have been categorically debunked over the years, I tend to find that the focus of anti-EV commenters seems to narrow itself down to a few key items. Now, don't get me wrong, there's always going to be the one who believes that all cobalt for EVs is mined by children in the Congo. This is despite the fact that the same cobalt is used in petrol refining and for the smartphone is probably tweeting on. There's also the one who still thinks the UK's electricity grid is mostly coal, so all you're doing is shifting in emissions from the car to a power station. This is despite the fact that coal now constitutes only around 2% of total electricity generation and renewables are taking up most of the shortfall. What follows are genuine arguments that can be legitimately levelled against electric vehicles. These are not myths and legends or straw men arguments, whataboutisms or any other logical fallacy used to divert attention away from EVs. These are genuine issues, the yin, and genuine solutions, the yang. The first one is that EVs are costly to repair. And this comes from articles where you know, someone's damaged a Tesla in an accident and new battery costs £25,000 to replace. Or posts where a car was in a collision with an iPace and it broke a seal on the battery that cost £12,000 to fix. The implication is that because rare things like this are expensive, then all EV costs are expensive. So that's the, yang, uh, the yin. What's the yang? Well, it's worth remembering that any car will cost money to repair when it's broken. A friend of the podcast, Gary Wales, is driving a Tesla now in large part because his old internal combustion engine car broke its timing chain and the repair cost on that ended up being quite large. So it was actually cheaper for him to put that money down on a deposit towards the Tesla rather than getting it fixed and end up with a car that was starting to run into difficulties with the mechanics at a relatively early age. And back in the day, as podcast listeners will know, I drove Porsche 911s for 10 years. Great cars to drive, even a little twitchy in the wet. But for pretty much anything you needed to do with them, the whole engine needed to be removed. That was a couple of hours labour costs on top of whatever needed doing to the car itself. Even at non-Porsche main dealer rates, we were looking at 100 to £150 as a baseline cost incurred simply by needing the work to be done. My servicing fees for the car alone were in the region of several thousand pounds a year, and that's not counting fuel costs, which were really high on that car. On the topic of servicing, I took my Kia Soul in for a regular service a couple of weeks ago. £120, fixed fee. It could have been lower if I'd had a service plan with Kia, which is approximately £200 over three years. And what was critical to this low cost is that the reliability of the vehicle meant it didn't need any parts replacing. There was nothing that had gone wrong with it. Remember, with an internal combustion engine car, you've got 
oil seals, gaskets, belts, gears, pistons, all the associated paraphernalia from the engine and the transmission that can go wrong. With an EV, there's literally an order of magnitude fewer parts. You've got a battery and a motor. Of course, there are still the other parts that can go wrong, same as they can on an internal combustion engine. Suspension, brakes, electronics. But these are traditionally longer lasting in both ICE and EV, so they don't need replacing except in exceptional circumstances. Twitter is full of tales of people who've taken their EVs in for a service and been pleasantly surprised by the low price for servicing. If you then take into account mobile servicing, such as that provided by James Coates at Cleveland EV, this can drop the price even further. Incidentally, we're hoping to get James on the podcast this season to discuss this whole mobile servicing um, in a lot more detail in the next couple of weeks. So what's the next yin-yang problem that we encounter? Well, it's the old chestnut about charging times. How many times have you read social media comments about people who won't get into an EV until they can recharge it in the same length of time that they can fill the diesel car? If they can top their tank in five minutes, that's the maximum time they'll expect to wait for a charge in their EV. That's the yin. The yang is something that we covered in episode 73, where we talked about the charging mindset. Remember, the reason you need to be able to fill a petrol or diesel car in five minutes is because that's the business model big oil is pushing on you. They want people through as quickly as possible so they can turn around as many cars as possible and boost their profits in and out. But because a petrol station is the only place anyone can fuel their private car from, this makes sense. Let me recycle an analogy I've used before on this show. If I told you that Apple had released a brand new iPhone, the charge on it will last for one week minimum under pretty much any usage conditions and it can be completely charged from empty to full in about five to eight minutes. The only downside is that in order to charge it, you've got to go to an Apple store and pay them about £50 to top it up. Now, if I tried to sell you that as a concept, you'd tell me to sling my hook, get out of here. But that's the fossil fuel narrative. Sure, you can do a distance in your car and you can fill it relatively quickly, but it's expensive, very expensive, and you need to go to a specific place to do it. The EV charging model closely matches the actual charging model of phones. You use the time you're otherwise occupied to charge. Often it's while you're asleep. Put the phone on overnight, awake to a full battery. Sometimes it's while you're doing something else. Plug it in while you're eating or watching TV. The model for EV is the same. Got home charging? Plug it in overnight. Use cheap electricity to help balance the grid requirements. If you don't have home charging, you can always plug it in at one of the many locations currently available in places such as Tesco car parks, Morrisons or other large grocery stores. Come for shopping, get a charge while there. Or in the many car parks that are available in large shopping centres. I met up with two school friends a while back at the Meadow Hall Centre in Sheffield. I plugged into one of the three dozen or so seven kilowatt charges they have on site, pulled in almost 50% of my battery capacity in a little less than two hours. Even longer distance stops work this way. Drive two to three hours, pull in at a motorway service station, plug in, grab a coffee, go to the toilet, maybe grab some food, 15 to 20 minutes later, your car's charged back up. I stopped at the Heston Services recently on the M4, literally grabbed a Greggs and a Coke and ate it. When I got back 10 minutes later, my car was at 70%, more than enough to get home. So the narrative that you need to charge in five minutes is nonsense. So what's next? Well, we talked just then about the ability to charge at home overnight, but as statistics are liable to remind us, 40% of dwellings in the UK don't have off-street parking. So... How do people who drive EVs and live in flats manage to charge? Well, that's the ying. The yang for that is quite straightforward. They charge the same way that they fill their ice cars at the moment. 
it's actually less of a problem than you think. Sure, the statistics say that 40% of dwellings don't have off-street parking. But what it doesn't say is what percentage of those dwellings don't have a car either. Many people who live in large cities like London and Manchester don't have cars because they can use public transport to get around. They don't need off-street parking because they don't have cars to park off-street. Nor do the statistics say what percentage of dwellings with off-street parking have more than one car. In my travels around the local area, the number of houses I see with driveways accommodating two, three or even four cars is growing. So while 40% might, might not have off-street parking, the percentage of cars that actually have on-street parking is probably higher than the 40-60% figure would indicate. And as we've just said, the way these cars are charged is by making use of local charging facilities to charge when you're doing something else. Podcast co-founder Simon Rowe has had an EV for over three years now. He drives a BMW i3 and he lives in a third floor flat. He can't run an extension cord out of the window and down to the car to charge it, nor would he want to. But he's been able to change his car through a combination of two factors, public fast charging and workplace charging. He works for a company that installed seven kilowatt fast chargers at the workplace. In pre-COVID times, he was able to drive to work, plug in, charge all across the day. And when he came back to his car at the end of the workday, he had enough charge to get home and come back the following day. If he needed to charge at the weekend, he'd drive to a local car park, leave it plugged in for a couple of hours while he did something else. Shopping, going to the movies, eating at a restaurant. At no time did he take the car to a charger, plug in and sit there for hours waiting for it to, ch uh, to charge. It was always while he was doing something else. And a uh, new motion I use at work, they are 7 kilowatt chargers. Um, I leave those in during the day and come out and my car is charged um, they're approximately 10p a kilowatt and um, usually my car is charged within two to three hours um, being on on there but I can leave that all day if I want to. Statistics from ZapMap indicate that as of September 16 2021 there are 14,850 fast chargers i.e. chargers with a speed of between 7 and 22 kilowatts in the UK by itself, that figure dwarfs the number of petrol stations in the UK, approximately 8,000, although the actual number of pumps will be higher. Now combine that with higher power chargers, 50 kilowatts and above, and that figure rises to a little under 20,000 units. At the moment, the figures rise in at a rate of about 500 per month overall. Rapid chargers themselves are also increasing at a rate of around 100 per month currently. ChargePoint operators such as Instavolt are pledged to install 5,000 rapid chargers by 2025 and a further 5,000 by 2030. Other operators such as Osprey and MFG are looking at large hub-style rollouts of rapid chargers and our good friends at GridServe will be leading the way with motorway service area upgrades and rollouts over the coming years. So now we know that not having a drive isn't a problem, what's next? Well, let's talk about the elephant in the room, shall we? The ying is that electric cars are more expensive than internal combustion engine cars. My sister recently bought a runaround for my nephew, an old Fiesta, paid around £500 for it. She couldn't get an EV for that much. So here's the yang for that. How much will it cost to fuel tax and repair that car and would a more expensive second-hand EV have worked out cheaper in the long run? Former podcast guest Dr Ewan McTurk has an episode on his Plug Life television channel and in that, he does the maths matching a second-hand ICE car to a second-hand EV. By his calculations, even if the internal combustion engine car was free of charge and gifted to you, and you were paying a monthly loan payment on the EV, it would still work out cheaper. Check that video out. It's actually um, quite eye-opening. The fact is that a new electric car is expensive. 
I'm currently working out options for the electric vehicle to replace my Kia Soul at the end of the lease and the prices are a good deal higher than anything I've ever paid for a car before. But it's worth remembering a few things when it comes to buying cars. A. Nobody, or almost nobody, pays for a brand new car in cash. Everybody finances it via a lease, a loan, a PCP, or they use salary sacrifice to pay for it. So the amount you need to be looking at is the total monthly cost to buy. If you spec out an internal combustion engine car to the same level equipment as, as a, an electric vehicle, then factor in other costs such as fuel versus electricity, reduced road tax, lower service fees, and things such as no ultra low emission zone or congestion charge, the monthly fee for buying an EV is not that much difference to the monthly fee for an ICE car. And remember, more and more towns and cities in the UK are implementing clean air zones and congestion zones to try and, try and reduce pollution. Bath, Birmingham, Portsmouth are three that are or will shortly introduce them in, in addition to the London congestion and Ule zone. I have heard on more than one occasion of people who've taken out a loan for a new electric vehicle and they've used the savings that they've made in not having to pay for diesel every month to fully cover the cost of the loan. There's a great calculator from EV Toolkit, a link in the show notes, that gathers together everything you pay for your ICE car and it works out what electric vehicle you can afford for that same money. Finally, in our yin and yang, there's the other big one that I always hear here in any argument or discussion. The charging network isn't there. Certain operators are unreliable. I can't guarantee I won't get stranded at a broken charger. And that's the yin. Unfortunately, the yang for that is a little harder to counter. The yang to that is that things are changing. It wasn't too long ago that ecotricity and the electric highway were the laughing stock of EV charging. After blazing a trail with charges at motorway service areas, they let them degrade, stopped repairing them, and finally ended up selling them to GridServe. But with the influx of money from GridServe, the network's starting to improve. Conversely, however, BP Pulse, at the time of recording, are on that long slippery slope down to ignominy where their charges are unreliable, often non-functioning, and with long wait times for people waiting to get through to customer service. These factors alone cause problems when people want to charge their cars. The whole area of range anxiety is given away to charger anxiety. You know, I know I'll get to the charges without any problem, but will I be able to actually charge when I get there? Is often the question that drivers are having to ask themselves. Over the last couple of years, the charging network has improved dramatically. Two factors have played into this, both of which are vital. Firstly, the number of locations with multiple chargers has increased. We did an episode last season about charging hubs, and in there we identified that there are numerous operators putting multiple chargers in at numerous locations. Instavolt are key drivers to this, with upwards of two dozen locations with four or more chargers. Osprey Charging have just announced their new ChemPower chargers, which will allow large-scale deployment at hub-style sites. And GridServer behind plans to implement numerous charging hubs across the motorway network. Now, secondly, the type of charges being rolled out are newer and more reliable. GridServe have gone for the ABB units, Instavolt tend to use Tritium, and as just mentioned, ChemPower are the new charger of choice for Osprey as they roll out their latest rounds of hubs and new units. All of these are contactless and a lot more reliable than some of the older DBT and um, BP Pulse chargers. The granddaddy of, these, of all of these is, of course, Tesla with their supercharging network. Four or more units at every location, rising to anything up to about 70 in certain locations, each one reliable and easy to use. And this shows that the ability to provide reliable, available, fast charging is not in doubt what's stopping the charge point operators is having the right financing and the right location. But as we've mentioned above, this is changing quite rapidly. 
Now, I've spoken to a number of people in ChargePoint Operator World, and they all agree on one thing. The model as it stood 18 months ago isn't working. Single chargers stuck around the back of a pub or a hotel was not the solution to the increased uptake of chargers. What is needed is more and more locations, some of them specifically built just for electric vehicles if needed, where availability and reliability was high. MFG are one company that are starting to bake inroads into this. They've recently announced their latest station upgrade where EV rapid chargers sit alongside petrol pumps and under canopies in key locations. So there you have it, the yin and the yang of a number of anti-EV arguments. Yes, electric cars aren't perfect. Yes, there are reasons why people would try and detract from uh, electric vehicles. But there's also the other side of the argument in every situation. So it's time for a cool EV or renewable thing to share with your listeners. I went up to London the other day and I had to park in the borough of Islington. I used one of the parking apps to pay for the parking and to my surprise I discovered that the cost of parking in Islington is dramatically reduced if you drive an electric car. Two hours parking just off the Holloway Road, just south of uh, Archway, would cost £14 in a petrol car, £19 in a diesel car and for an electric vehicle, 60 pence. And this included the admin overhead for using the app. Islington is one of a number of councils in London who are using parking charges to incentivise people to either not drive or, if they must drive, to use zero emissions vehicles. Westminster is another council with a similar pledge. You pay full price for parking your EV, but you only have to pay for the minimum 10 minutes and you can park for four hours. So well done to those councils. The EV Musings podcast is sponsored by ZapMap. ZapMap is the go-to app for EV drivers in the UK. Use it to search for available chargers, plan electric journeys, pay for charging on participating networks, and share updates with other EV drivers. ZapMap is free to download and use with subscription plans for enhanced features, such as using ZapMap in car on CarPlay or Android Auto. And that's the show for today. Hope you enjoyed listening to it. All Access and VIP patrons, please stay tuned for some post-credits goodness where we're talking about GridServe and their new chargers. If you want to contact me, I can be emailed at evmusings at gmail.com. I'm also on Twitter at MusingsEV. If you want to support the podcast and newsletter, please consider contributing to becoming an EV Musings patron. The link is in the show notes. Don't want to sign up for something on a monthly basis? If you enjoyed this episode, why not buy me a coffee? Go to co-fi.com slash evmusings, coffee.com slash evmusings, and you can do just that. Takes Apple Pay too. If you want a quick reference ebook to read on your Kindle, I wrote a little something called So You've Gone Electric. It's available on Amazon Worldwide for the measly sum of 99p equivalent, and it's a great little introduction to living with an electric car. Links for everything we've talked about in the podcast today are in the description. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe. It's available on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave a review. Please leave a review, as it helps raise visibility and extend our reach in search engines. If you've reached this part of the podcast and are still listening, thank you. Why not let me know you've got to this point by tweeting me at MusingsEV with the words yin yang, hashtag if you know you know. Nothing else. Thanks as always to my co-founder Simon. You know, he bought a brand new toy to add to his collection. It's a tiny remote control matchbox BMW. It's more of a weekend thing for him alongside his unicycle. He can actually use the, out- the output from his unicycle to power the matchbox. Real simple. Usually my car's charged within two to three hours um, being on, on there, but I can leave that 
all day if I want to. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye now.